So it's been somewhat of a quiet week in our nation this week. It's a, you know, in the midst of uh, uh, the, the freedom to vote, to voice your opinion, your celebration, your dissent, your protest, whatever it is, I think all of us would say we're thankful that we have those rights, that we have those freedoms. Uh, I know many of you have uh, served our country, and uh, we want to thank you for that. I, I don't know if there are any here who have served in uh, the military. If you wouldn't mind standing uh, real quick, we just want to give thanks to you. And yeah. Thank you. So we're going we're gonna to do a prayer at the end, but let's pray. Let's thank God for this. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these men and women who have been willing to serve. And we know, Jesus, that you said at, at the very heart, that's who you are. A servant who has come not to be served, but to serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. And so we do thank you. In the midst of what feels like a chaotic time in our nation, we are thankful that uh, we have had a chance to think and to debate and talk and, and walk through this. And Lord, we know this is not going to be an easy season, uh, but we're confident, uh, Lord, that you can get us through it. And so we, we just pray your blessing uh, today. Bless these men and women uh, for their service and bless us today as we think about the unique ways in which you want us uh, to become like Hezekiah, uh, leaders who will uh, figure out the right way for, for a nation to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are, uh, I want to invite you, to, uh, why don't you do this, why don't you turn to uh, the story chapter 16, or 2 Kings 18. So uh, uh, we, are, we are in the midst, almost at the halfway, well I guess we're up beyond the halfway point, of uh, going through a series uh, called The Story, and the story is about learning about the big God story, God's story for us, and we're in a little part of, of God's story that is, I would, the best way to say it maybe is it's dark, it's, uh, it's sad, uh, hence the name Broken for our kind of tiny mini-series, these few weeks that we are studying together, uh, we're seeing that there's a, there's a a section of stories that we see is just a dark time for God's people. And, and where we are, uh, I, what I want to encourage you, if you're new with us, we are uh, reading through, we're studying, we're trying to understand the big God story. We're using this resource called the story, which is not a Bible, but it gives you a, a, an abridged chronological view of the story of the Bible. And so the, the Bible is not just, I, and maybe you realize this, um, the Bible is is not a book. It is a collection of sixty six books. Uh, we have, and, and what it it really does is it helps us. It's not just random, but here we have all we have the story of God from start to finish. Now it's not arranged chronologically, so sometimes you get a little lost. In fact, we're in a period right now where it's kind of layered. So Second uh, uh, Kings is where I invited you to go, but you could easily be, you could also follow this in Second Chronicles. We're going to see the prophet Isaiah come in. And so you're going to see at least three books are kind of here at the same time uh, right now. But our goal is to, if we can understand this big picture, then it will help you understand kind of how these smaller pictures all fit together. We have this week, we have next week. And then we're going to take a break. Uh, you'll have about six weeks to catch up or start. So uh, my encouragement is by uh, January 15th, okay, by January 15th, 
try to catch up, uh, be at chapter 18. It's about halfway in the book. It's, it's written like a novel. And I think what you'll, it will bless you tremendously to, to do this. If you, if you can read this whole thing, it's going to feel like you read the whole Bible. Okay? In my book, I will count it as reading the whole Bible. I will sign off on it for you for school. Okay? But uh, it's going to be a tremendous resource for your understanding of God's word because you will see the way that all these stories, kind of the dots are connecting. So each week, one of the things that we want to do is we want to also figure out the way that this story that we're reading, uh, how God is inviting us to live our story with with him in his. And so where we left off last week is we discovered that uh, God had, uh, from chapter one all the way to this point, that we've seen that God wants to be in relationship with us, that he developed a people, he created a nation, and this nation was going to show the whole world this desire God has uh, to be in relationship with them. And this nation has struggled, it's suffered along the way. Last week we watched that this nation broke into two. And so based on uh, kind of this rebellion that went on, they, they broke into two. And in breaking into two, we saw that there was a uh, northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So there was 12 tribes, 10 went to the north, two to the south. I think we have a, a map that we showed you last week. So as you see that colored area, you see that whole colored area was the nation of Israel. It broke, we saw last week. And so Israel, the 10 tribes, stayed in the north. That's called the northern kingdom. And then there are two tribes that stayed to the, to the south, uh, which we call Judah. That is uh, the southern kingdom. And, and so where we're coming today, just so you understand, there, there were 39 kings that led uh, the people of God over those two regions uh, during their period. Uh, of the 39 kings, all but five were bad. There were only five good kings in their whole history. And that's not good. So if you're a good king... It means that you drew the people to God. You led the people to God. Now, one of the things is that the kingdom of the north, the northern kingdom Israel, over a 200 plus year period, 19 kings, all bad. Never once did one of their kings lead the people towards God. And you got to think about this as a response. So if you're going to basically say to God, I don't want you. I don't need you. We can do it better ourselves. I found someone else that I'd rather give my attention to. So God steps back and says, all right, I'll give you what you want. And as a result of doing that, the nation from the north, Assyria, comes in and takes them out. Basically, Israel ceases to exist around 722 BC. They take out Israel. The people are kind of assimilated in and never really to be heard of again. So Uh, Now, there's a reason why this happens with them and what we'll see next week is going to happen with the southern kingdom. This is kind of a foreshadowing of next week, but I want you to just hear this because I think this is kind of a consistent message we're seeing at this part of our series. 2 Chronicles 36 will be up here on on the screen, but 2 Chronicles 36 verses 15 and 16 say this, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through the messengers again and again. Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And there was no remedy. God's people would not listen to his voice. They rejected his words. They kept rebelling against him again and again and again. We can do it better ourselves. And so when God stepped back 
Assyria came and took him out. Now, imagine if you're now Judah, and you've just watched this happen. It's almost like watching your big brother get in trouble with your parents. You're taking notice a little bit. Because Assyria's moving down the coast, and they're moving their way down, and now they come to Judah, and now they want to take out uh, Judah as well. And as they're watching that, here's the unique thing, though. Judah at this time, the southern king at this unique time, had one of its five good kings, a man named Hezekiah. And I want us to learn a little bit about Hezekiah today because there's some very important things about what Hezekiah did that can help us. And listen to this uh, description about Hezekiah found in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. And if you're in the story, it's on page 221. It says this, that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So Hezekiah is different than the other kings. He trusts the Lord. He obeys the Lord. He, 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 every word of the Lord he wants to take to heart. And he wants to make it his own. And, and as a result, when the king of Assyria comes and says, it's time for you two to give in and let me take over, he says no. Now, just to understand the dynamic of this challenge, you got to know a little something about Assyria. Assyria, their army was ruthless. In fact, uh, if you've ever read this, there's a small little book called Jonah in the Bible. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, you know there's a, there's a prophet who's sent to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh is in Assyria. And when he's sent there, he's like, later, no way, I'm not going there. And he goes the opposite direction. And the whole story is about this ruthless people, but how God in his love is trying to call them back to himself. They were a superpower. They, for about 30 years, they reigned. They were big, they were strong, they were organized, they were efficient, and they were incredibly cruel. So in around 700 BC, uh, the Assyrian king, uh, Sennacherib, uh, he started to move this vast army. Uh, hundreds of thousands of soldiers moved them down the south, kind of recapturing uh, territories that he felt belonged to Syria. And, and unlike other, other superpowers, they treated people with incredible cruelty. And so just to kind of get a picture of it, uh, there, even if uh, archaeologists have found some artwork from this period, and you've got this king lounging, his wife is feeding him grapes, and there in the background are his enemies hanging upside down from trees with their heads cut off. You know, kind of a peaceful, quiet guy, right? You get kind of an idea of who you're dealing with. Now, beyond just the cruelty, there was uh, psychological warfare. So there was, uh, uh, what they utilized was creating uh, immense fear in people. And so the people would either surrender or realize that they, had, they, you know, they couldn't fight and kind of paralyzed by this. And so the psychological warfare was, uh, uh, and Sennacherib was just a master of creating fear. Now, now it's interesting that we actually have Assyrian historical documents to kind of see the story. So it's, it is kind of fun, actually, as you're, well, this is not a fun story, but it's interesting, at least, that what we see, what we're reading in the Bible here, this is historical. This is something that happened in history. But you get a chance to kind of see the unique way in which God's, uh, you see it from God's perspective. 
Now, one of the things that would happen is what was called siege warfare. And there's a lot of different elements to it that we don't have time to talk about. But uh, one simple way to think of it is uh, you would surround uh, a, a people. You would cut off everything going in or out. No escape. So you surround it. You got archers. You got all kinds of things. They're kind of building ramps and other things, trying to figure out ways in. But now there's no water, no food. You kind of start starving the people out. And then the threats would begin I think you and I know sometimes when we're up against a significant challenge in our life, it's the waiting that's the worst part, right? It's the wait. You know that destruction is coming. And that time between now and when that comes, that sense of just growing fear and paranoia, that is the worst part. And that's exactly what was happening in Judah as we find ourselves in, in this part of the story now as we enter in. So 2 Kings chapter 18, let's look at verse 19. And if you're in the story, it's on page 221. Uh, the people are surrounded and listen to the field commander who's then been sent to talk to the people inside the city walls. He says, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord, our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Now notice the psychological warfare that's beginning. He's starting to put doubts in the people's minds. Uh, uh, you must, uh, he said, Hezekiah said, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Now keep that in mind because you're going to watch this message. Kind of, He's starting to play like head games with the people. So now he's saying... Hey, I know you say you're not going to give in because you got the Lord on your side. But I just want you to know the Lord told me that you're supposed to go with me. Now watch as it continues to play. He says, then the commander stood. He called out in Hebrew. Now he begins to speak in their own uh, language. He says, hear the word of the great uh, king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree. Drink water from your own cistern. Until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah. 
For he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Now watch, watch the change of tone right here. Has the God of any nation ever delivered the land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Whether, uh, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of, of Seraphim and Ivah and Hena? Where have, uh, have, you, have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who are all the gods of these countries? Uh, uh, who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his hand, this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Now, he's stating a number of rhetorical questions, but the obvious answer to all these questions is no one. No one can save you. No one can deliver you. Every God that tried to stand up against us, we have defeated. Yours will be the same. And so you've watched this kind of, hey, come with us. We'll give you a great land, a great place. Come with us. We'll provide even the horses to get you where you need to go. Hey, come with us. If you don't, you're going to die. Come with us because your, your king is a liar. The Lord even told me you can see all that's going on. But this last part is significant because what you see there is kind of a threat. If you're not going to come with me, if you're going to depend on the Lord, then you will experience what every other nation experienced. No God can stand up against us. And if you are Judah, and you've just watched Israel with ten tribes fall, and you have only two, you're thinking, we are up against the challenge of our life. So what was it about Hezekiah that gave him confidence that he could defeat the most ruthless army in the world. So here's our big idea today. And it's an idea that's a seed. You, you need to pray that God would plant it in your heart. You will not be able to embrace it at the end of 20 minutes. You will be able to start to embrace it. But it's this. In the midst of your challenges, you can find confidence in God. In the midst of your challenges, you can find confidence in God. I want you to think for a second right now, and I want you to, as best you can, identify what army is surrounding you. What challenge are you up against? What are you trying to face in your own resources? What feels like it is, it is ready to take you over? Is it debt? Is it addiction? Is it failure? Divorce? Power outages? <laughs> Unmet expectations? What is it? What is it for you? And as you sit there waiting, don't you feel the kind of intensifying of the pressure? As you're in that situation, aren't you feeling the uniqueness of that pressure in it? Be able to say to God, God, this is the challenge that is overwhelming me right now. And, and as you do that, you can begin to see how Hezekiah can look at a challenge that was so, I mean, you're talking about the complete decimation of a people, ruthless execution of people, perhaps, people that he loved and cared for. So what gave him confidence? All of us find confidence somehow, somewhere. Where did Hezekiah find his? 
Hezekiah knew that he had a resource that the king of Assyria was not accounting for. Listen to what he said to the people in 2 Chronicles 32. Uh, It won't be on the screens for you, so you just stay with me. So this is what he said to the people. He said, be strong and courageous. Okay, there's two commands. Be strong, be courageous. He adds two more. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Okay, be strong, be courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. These are the things he commands. Why? He says, because the king of Assyria and the vast army that are with him, he says, we have a power greater with us than is with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. So how did he do this? How did he turn the people to a place of confidence? I think to understand it, you have to kind of go back and look earlier at his reign. So there's two things, and they won't be up in the screen probably, but in case they aren't, are, are uh, up until this point. So here's your first fill-in. The first thing is this, that he made a commitment to repentance. Repentance. Spell it as close as you think you can get to it. So Hezekiah is one of the few good kings, meaning he's a king who turned the nation back to God. Okay? So let me help you understand repentance, because repentance is a word you're going to hear in church, but you probably aren't using around the office or at school or something. Repentance, and, and specifically when we think of it from a biblical standpoint, repentance is about turning something around. It's about, it, it, it's not just feeling sorry, but it's requiring that we would change our mind. We would change our actions. It is, the, maybe the best way to understand it, it is a U-turn. It is an about face. And so you're going one way and you know that this isn't right. And you don't just sit there and wallow in, in sorrow over going the wrong way. Repentance is recognizing not only you're going the wrong way, but you have to turn yourself around and go in a new direction. And this is what Hezekiah did. He began to lead the people in, back towards God. They were turning from their sinful ways, but they didn't just uh, move from their sinful ways. They turned back towards God. Now, here's, uh, I want you to hear in 2 Chronicles 29. So think about, uh, we've been talking, you've probably been hearing things this week about uh, President-elect Trump and his first 100 days in office. Think about Hezekiah's first 100 days in office. Here's, Here's what he did. It says that in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. So the people had stopped going in to worship the Lord. The temple was kind of shut down. He brought the priests and the Levites. He assembled them in the square on the east side and said, listen to me. He said, Levites, consecrate yourselves now. Consecrate the temple of the Lord, the, uh, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. He says this, our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. And repentance, again, the biblical idea of repentance is turning back towards God. Now, Hezekiah was young. He was only 25 years old when he came into this place of being the king. But he was wise enough to understand the problem. 
our parents turned their back on God. They ignored him. They rejected him. They turned to other gods, these idols there. And he realized if what we're trying to count on is this thing we carved to protect us against uh, ruthless armies like the Assyrians, we're sitting ducks. And so he turned the people back to God. Now, he, that meant a couple things. One, it meant purifying. It, it, they went into the temple. And in fact, it took 16 days for them just to, in essence, kind of clean out the temple of all the things that they felt defiled uh, God, that, that repulsed God. They, they, he, he led the, the Levites to this process of consecrating themselves, of making themselves holy before God, setting themselves apart for God. One of the things that when we are facing a challenge, sometimes we've discovered when we're facing a challenge, we're in this situation because we've turned our back on God. We've gone our own way. And one of the things God does when we begin to turn ourselves back towards him, he starts with, okay, this is good. Now, we've got to clean house. We've got to get rid of some of these things. We got to get some of these things that are causing you trouble. Any of you know this, right? Uh, you, some of you have been on a diet and what's the first thing you, you have? You got to clear out the potato chips and the, and the cookie. You can't hold on to them and go, well, I'll just keep the Thin Mint Oreos in. Like those don't really count. Uh, you know, if you don't purify the house, you're not making any progress. And he begins to purify the temple. He begins to purify the leaders. And that then led to a movement of worship. They went from purifying themselves of, of not just saying no to sin, but saying yes to God. They turned themselves, began to worship God. He opened the temple. They came in, they worshiped God. They began to celebrate some of the, the, uh, the festivals and things that they had forgotten. They celebrated the Passover. They had forgotten the Passover. Now the Passover is when they remembered, they, they, it was a whole time of celebrating how God had saved them from Egypt. So imagine coming to a church where you never hear about the cross. You would never hear about what Jesus did for you. You're just learning about how to be a good person, things like that. And all of a sudden you hear the story of what God did for you. And you're like, he did what? He, he what? And the people's heart of worship so erupted that when Hezekiah said, look, in worship to God, bring your gifts to him. They came, and, and Matt was doing this as he was inviting us to give our gifts. You know, we, we talk about that being an act of worship. It's an act of, of thankfulness and trust and dependence on God. When the people came and brought their gifts to God, they gave so much that they had to build these storehouses just to contain it. Why? Because, see, their hearts had turned back to him. They saw his greatness. They remembered the things that he had done. And it, for them to give was nothing. It was just an act of worship, devotion, love, celebration. And the people had turned back to God. The purpose of repentance is not just saying no. It is saying yes to God and the life he is calling us. And I hope you're seeing something. That we're 16 chapters deep in this. And every chapter has been an invitation to life. From chapter one, that you were created to be in a relationship with God and all the time God is calling you in. What I hope that will call you, that will, will lead you into repentance is not guilt or manipulation. It will be the beauty of God. It will be the beauty of his plan, the beauty of his love 
will draw you in, that you will say, why would I, why would I hold on to these counterfeits? Why would I trust in these other things? But that you would see the beauty of who God is and what he wants for you. That 16 out of 16 chapters, every chapter is telling you the same thing. It's the story of God. That you were designed to have life with him. Now, forever, abundant, eternal. That is what God wants for you. And the people turn to that. Now, as a result of them turning to, to God in this way, you see the second thing, which is this. They made a commitment to prayer. He made a commitment to prayer. So I want to ask, what do you do when a ruthless army is at your doorstep and they're filling your head with ideas? Remember again, Hezekiah gave four challenges. Don't. Don't, uh, he said, be strong, be courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. And then he prayed. He prayed and he turned to prayer and they turned to prayer. See, the, uh, the Assyrian leader, Sennacherib, he saw the Lord as nothing other than some other little God that he would defeat in time. But he didn't know who the Lord really was. He didn't understand the upper story of what God was doing. But see, Hezekiah had turned the nation around. They knew God's story. They knew how they fit in God's story. And when he said, look, we have a a battle we don't know how to fight. So let's go to the God we've been worshiping. He will fight our battles for us. And that's what they did. In fact, we read in 2 Chronicles 32, 20, that King Hezekiah... And the prophet Isaiah cried out in prayer to heaven about this. When you're facing a challenge, what do you do? Do you turn to prayer? Listen to the way that 2 Kings describes it. Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger. So here's this this message that comes in that we just read, this long kind of manipulative thing. It says that he, he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before God and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but wooden stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. See, he says, we know it's true. He's wiped everyone out, but that's because those people didn't trust you. We trust you. Show the world who you are and what you can do. Now I want to ask you, when those challenges come, how do you face them? What do you do? Is the first thing you do, you pull out a yellow legal pad, Write a line down the middle. Start listing pros and cons, your options. What does Hezekiah do? He gets the letter. 
and he goes to the temple and he lays it out and he falls on the ground and he prays and he pleads to God and he begs God, please hear us, please see our situation, deliver us as only you can. And many of us, prayer is our last thing instead of our first thing. And Hezekiah prayed. And listen to what Isaiah said to him. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 32. The story, page 223, it says this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it. For my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And God says in answer to their prayers, you guys sit this one out. I got this one. And they wake up in the morning and all they can smell is death. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are taken out by one angel. And the most ruthless army on the planet is defeated with one prayer. 2 Chronicles says it this way, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. God protected them. And gave them peace. And many, meaning all around the world, many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all the nations. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but that's chapter two, right? When, he, when Abraham was given a promise that through you, I will bless you and I'll protect you. And through you, I will bless all the nations. And for a moment, here is God's people living out who they are supposed to be. Everyone takes notice. You can respond to your challenges in one of two ways. You can be Israel. And you can ignore the Lord and say, I've got a better way. I've got other things to put my trust in. I'd rather do it myself. Or you can be Judah. And you can turn your heart towards God and and discover, not just turn away from sin and not just uh, move in purity, but turn yourself towards God and receive all that he has and see him for who he truly is. And and become someone who trusts in him and prays to the one who's writing your story, who's writing his story. And so as we close our time today, I want to ask you to think about this. What challenges are you up against? What challenges are you up against? In the midst of those challenges, you can have confidence in God. Where do you need to make a U-turn? Where do you need to devote yourself in prayer? Let's take a moment and pray over these things. Earlier we were praying. We were singing. 
how God makes us brave. I want you to remember Hezekiah's commands. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Will you hold on to him? Every word, every command, in courageous obedience. Even if it means facing a challenge way beyond your resources. You, you don't have to face these things within your own resources. So what are you up against? Take a moment and pray. Turn those things over to the Lord and trust him. And in a moment, uh, we'll sing.